as I um, went through the week, I kept going through my text and studying as always. But you know, to get the full, I guess you could say, full gist of it, and uh, or something that's working towards a more more fullness, let's say, in a text, we never reach the absolute fullness. But I never really got it until um, sometime after Friday. Because the text we're in today, I think, speaks to the hot issues at hand that's in our world today. And, um, you know, there's quite a buzz that's going on throughout all the media, especially the social media. And boy, when you see that, uh, you really see it. It's just blowing up. And it should. Because it's created quite the controversy, and that's been going on for some time. And of course, everybody here knows Supreme Court ruled, not unanimously, a five to four vote. That means five really decided in, for the whole United States, all 50 states, in favor of same sex marriage. And I'm sure we all have the same biblical view. As we sit here today, we stand here and sit, and we're saddened, not really stunned by the ruling. I think we probably saw it coming. There's a worldly view that is taken, and it seems like there are more people that are taking that view than you ever would have thought before. And uh, they can be in your family, they can be your next door neighbor, they can be um, even people that are in the church. The worldly view, of course, uh, sometimes it's seen visibly by emblems like the rainbow. We know what the rainbow was really meant to be, as God made a promise. Also, uh, a slogan that I keep seeing that keeps popping up is, Love One. The truth is that God is love. He's the one that defines what really love is. And God wins. God always wins. He has already won. And all who are on His side are winners. All who are on His side have won. Now there's persecution that might happen as a result of this. As That's not just my opinion. That's coming from many, many people in the body of Christ uh, or even politicians. And we have seen that uh, historically, churches are forced to underground. Uh, just a thought that's in your mind, uh, probably going by too. I'm not saying anything probably really new. And I want to remind you that I think the church now has opportunities that it has not had before because the church, I think, will see some more people that are true to Christ compared to maybe the fuzziness of uh, the times that we've had, I think it will be made much clearer who belongs to the Lord and who really takes God's Word truly. And I think that's what it's all about. It's not our opinion, but it is what God says. And we want to stand up for what God says, right? And, uh, of course, that's why we gather. Now, the Supreme Court in the United States is the highest court in the land. And its decisions can be appealed and will be appealed to a higher court. That higher court, we know, is the very courtroom of God. He is the supreme judge. And all who continue this kind of thought, they will be judged for what they've done. There's also a a kind of a second uh, court, and it's uh, the historical court, because as time goes on, people will look back at this, and there will be some people, how could they have done that in that land? How could they have even said that? It's a threat to religious liberty. It's placed every religious institution in legal jeopardy. And I'm just going to use a few notes here that I dug up from Al Mohler. Uh, some of you are familiar with Al Mohler. He's very solid in his theology and he's president of a Southern um, Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, he takes the same view that we would take. And everything that I'm saying, probably every one of them is shaking their head and saying the same thing. And I'm just going to read a few lines. I'm not going to do too much. Cause, but I'm, I'm going to head for this text today. I'm not going to go outside the text, but I'm going to write in the text. And we're going to 
show how the Lord has something for us today as He's speaking to us 2,000 years later than what was written to Timothy. And does this ever have meaning to the body of Christ? Now, um, Moeller said the highest court of the land has redefined marriage. Those who cannot accept this redefinition of marriage as a matter of morality and ultimate truth must acknowledge that the laws of this nation concerning marriage will indeed be defined against our will. We must acknowledge the authority of the Supreme Court in matters of law, although we know that they're really not supposed to make the law. Christians must be committed to be good citizens and good neighbors, even as we cannot accept this redefinition of marriage in our churches and in our lives. Moeller goes on to say, we must contend for marriage as God's gift to humanity, a gift central and essential to human flourishing, and a gift that is limited to the conjugal union of a man and a woman. We must contend for religious liberty for all and focus our energies on protecting the rights of Christian citizens and Christian institutions to teach and operate on the basis of Christian conviction. We cannot be silent and we cannot join the moral revolution that stands in direct opposition to what we believe the Creator has designed, given, and intended for us. We cannot be silent and we cannot fail to contend for marriage as the union of a man and a woman. Our Christian responsibility has not changed. We are charged to uphold marriage as the union of a man and a woman and to speak the truth in love. We are also commanded to uphold the truth about marriage in our own lives, in our own marriages, in our own families, and in our own churches. And his last little paragraph said this, I like this. We are called to be the people of the truth. Even when the truth is not popular, and even when the truth is denied by the culture around us, Christians have found themselves in this position before, and we will again. God's truth has not changed. Their truth does. And it's not truth. The Holy Scriptures have not changed. The Gospel of Jesus Christ has not changed. The church's mission has not changed. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Week after week, we've been looking at the letter Paul sent Timothy. He's exhorting him. He's admonishing him. And he's saying, Stay the course, Timothy. Don't you know there were things going against the church at that time? Inside, drastically. False teaching outside, coming from the government. It wasn't easy to pastor the church in Ephesus. The challenges were daunting to Timothy. That's why the second Timothy is so valuable. And he keeps reminding him, Paul does to Timothy, of the nature of what it is to be a gospel minister In chapter 2, we see a whole series of pictures, and we're going to review those real quick. We see the picture of what I call a strong man. That's what it is to be a minister. We see the uh, picture of uh, one who is a teacher, and that's what we do. We teach the truth. Then we see the picture of a soldier. What a picture that is of the church, isn't it? As they obey the, the commands of the Master. We see the picture of an athlete who disciplines himself, trains himself, and sticks with it. Sticks by the rules. And then we see the example of a farmer who works hard. And he works hard and he doesn't see any results. But at the end, there's a harvest. And he works for that harvest. And he puts all those hours in and works hard. Then we see another picture of a workman. All these words are you, you put effort into. A workman. He's a craftsman. Uh, a workman handles the word accurately. He knows the truth. And whenever a time comes that he can speak, because when the culture has made something that is the opposite of truth, He's there to give the answer because He knows the truth. 
And he knows the truth will set the free the people free. And then we also get a picture of a vessel, clean, honorable, a vessel that is to be useful. That's what vessels are for. They're useful. And then we come to this final picture. Man, isn't God really creative in the way that He brings forth His Word? He brings it down to a level we can all understand. And here He is working through Paul, and He just gives these uh, photos, these, uh, these snapshots, these pictures of what it is to be a servant of God. And so now we come to the last one that's in this, uh, this chapter 2. And if we take things into context, and that's what we do, when, when we first come to the Word of God, we want to ask this. Who's writing this? Who's He writing it to? Why is He writing this? So we first take it in the very context of why it was originally done. Because we can't always claim everything, that's for me, that's for me. Eventually, the, 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 the meaning of that you know, does come to us, but we must see why was it written. But we step back and then we see that it's a profile of a pastor. It's a picture. It's a profile of a pastor. But what it does do, it does trickle down to the congregation at that time. And it trickles all the way down through the body of Christ to all the people in the church as they are servants. We're all called to be servants, aren't we? I want to tell you, to be a servant, it's an immense privilege to be a servant of the Most Holy God, right? But while it's an immense privilege, it's also a grave responsibility. You take the privileges, but you have to take the responsibility with that. And so with this, Timothy is being called out by Paul, and this is where we need to be challenged, folks. We've, we've come a long way, but we've got a long way to go. We are to be completely sold out to our Master, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Completely sold out. We're here to live for Him. We're here to serve Him. So what we're going to do is we're going to turn to this morning's passage. We're going to look at the profile of a pastor. And we're going to see what a Christ-like servant looks like whenever he's in action. We'll get a little bit of glimpse. We'll get a video here maybe if we can. He's in action, right? I want you to see yourself as a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Master who we serve. I want you to get that. And when it's all said and done, that He sees you, that you loved the people that He brought along into your life. And you just can't wait to serve those people that He brought along into your life. Those people who are walking side by side with you and agree with everything that you agree or that you believe. Well, yeah, those. Well, what about the people that don't agree with us? We're still to serve them. It was going my way. (laughs) We are never to be argumentative just for our own sake or quarrelsome. But we are existing here to correct the opposition to truth. Because if one is not a believer, guess what? They are in opposition to what? Truth. It's not our opinion, but it's God's truth. We're here to defend that. We are called ambassadors. We are representing the King of the universe here on this sinful, depraved world. And we have a message. So, how do we respond to what is happening currently in this nation? Turn on your TVs, I'll guarantee you what you're going to hear about. You put on the internet, guess what you're going to see? You put on Facebook, guess what you're going to see? And I I have seen many that come from the Christian angle. Most of the people that are on my Facebook, most of them, are Christians. Some of them are not. And that's okay, that's good. Good to have non-Christian friends. Matter of fact, if we don't have non-Christian friends, how can we bring those people into the church? It's okay to have them. Don't let them dominate your thought. <laughs> you are to dominate what they. You are to bring your truth, which is right here. How do we respond? How do we respond to the same-sex ruling? 
homosexuality uh, and, and uh, all of that that goes with that and the whatever. You know, here it is. And, and how about people who just who are not homosexuals but, but they have bought the things of the world who ten years ago you know that they wouldn't have taken this view and now they are because they're being forced by the world to believe that and because if they're not they're going against the grain and nobody wants to go against the grain. So you say what the rest of the world says because it sounds loving. Love won. Yeah, God did. Now, let's go to our text and let's see how this speaks to us today. I think it is amazing. It's just like God broke in and says, okay, you know what went down and you don't agree with it and you shouldn't and you should hate it because it's, it's, for, uh, it's against God's truth and His wisdom. But yet, how do we respond? Let's all stand. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is a challenge to all of us. And let's get this picture of the bond servant. Our final image in chapter 2. The Lord's bond servant... No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm going to start in verse 23. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all. Able to teach. Patient when wronged. With gentleness. Correcting those who are on op- opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance. Leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. Having been held captive by him to do his will. Father, what a weighty passage. And it's a challenge. It's a challenge to all the body of Christ across the world, across this nation. It's a challenge to our little church here. It's a challenge to us how we address the unbelieving world. And whether it be homosexuality, whether it be murder, whether it be lying, whether it be stealing, we can go on and on. All the things that go against your law Lord, that we would be able to discern what is right and what is wrong. And then when we get the opportunity to give the hope, to give the truth to people who are in dire need. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word and your Holy Spirit today. And may we be more of a picture of who Jesus Christ is. Amen. Okay, do you see what I mean by this text? And I didn't really get it until almost yesterday, really. In the sense of how current this really is to us. And I'm saying, God's Word never is old, is it? It's always fresh, right up to the very moment. So we start with wisdom. What does a bondservant look like? What does a Christ-like servant look like? Well, he has wisdom. It's not from our own. I can tell you that. But it is from Him. And so it says, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations knowing that they produce quarrels. Paul has told Timothy, he's told us all throughout this second Timothy, here's what he's told us. Now look at this. All of these, it's just one after another after another. Avoid strange doctrines. Avoid myths, endless genealogies, does that sound familiar? Have, you, have we already seen that? Fruitless discussion on biblical assertions. Worldly fables fit only for old women. Different doctrine not agreeing with sound words. And doctrine conforming to godliness. Controversial questions. Disputes about words. Worldly, empty chatter. Avoid all that. Oppose arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Battles over words. Avoid useless talk, which spreads like gangrene. Does all this sound familiar? 
And now he adds in verse 23, all of that has been through all there. All of those things were happening in Timothy's church. All these things and these people's crazy lunacy, uh, just stupid stuff, foolishness that was happening in, in Ephesus there. And he says, now, you avoid the foolish and ignorant speculations. Some issues are not worth dealing with, Timothy. Refuse, uh, refuse these. And he's talking about those who were getting into fruitless doctrinal controversies, you know, those kind of things that don't really amount to a hill of beans. It, it's really not primary things. It's not even secondary issues. It's things that, you know, it's not even clear in the Bible. Or it's not even in the Bible sometimes. Now, the word that he um, is uh, dealing with here, uh, speculations, you see that word, refuse, foolish and ignorant speculations, is suzetetes, it's disputings, it's debates, it's arguments, just for argument's sake. You know, you refuse those. He's talking about pointless issues. We're not talking about major issues that need to be talked about. Um, it's not dealing with salvation, it's not dealing with godly living. Uh, speculations. It's uh, those matters where the Bible's silent. We may need to confront argumentative issues. And whenever there's an argumentative spirit, that, that needs to be confronted. It's not like we just roll over and hate people just say whatever they want to say and you don't say anything about it. But we don't, you know, it's, it's not worth the effort, the time that you could waste of going on with things that really don't amount to anything. And what it does, it, it feeds those people's pride when they have these little pet little, I'll say, quote, doctrines and whatever, and they're proving their point. And uh, so they want to do that, and, and they put others down because of it. And Paul's point here is that it's futile to argue over those kind of speculations, things that are unclear. Um, then he uses the word foolish. And so anything that's foolish, just don't, don't go there. The word is moros. And I can imagine everybody here has already figured that Greek word out. You've learned a Greek word. You've probably heard this many times. Moros is a moron. And uh, so he says that it's it's moronic, it's foolish, uh, dull, stupid, sluggish as far as its intent is concerned. Their intent of their foolish words, their moronic words, don't even go there with it and then he says ignorant and it has an ah before it which means negative and then peadutas and that would be dealing with peadutas would be dealing with training with education uh, training a child taking uh, uh, when you would have a servant he would take his uh, the master's child to school and have them educated to be trained well this is ah and this is untrained. You get it? It would be considered to be senseless. It would be uninstructed. Okay? Peadutas would be instructed. Apeadutas would be uninstructed. Okay? These people, he says, refuse these uninstructed speculation, these First of all, more also be the, the stupid and the uninstructed or senseless. Stay away from that moronic, senseless argument that actually debates and finally it attacks the very veracity of what Scripture is all about. So stay away from that. Now, let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 14. And uh, he has said this before. Remind them of these things. Okay, Timothy, pastor. Remind them of these things. And solemnly charge them in the presence of God. I think that's kind of serious, right? Not to wrangle about words, which is useless, and leads to the ruin of the hearers. People that hear that, you know, these false teachers, and they're saying something, and it ruins other people. That's verse 14. Look at verse 16. You'll be familiar with this. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. So anything that's not dealing with truth and just speculations and such, that's what it does. Okay, that's that's in 2 Timothy, a pastoral letter. Let's go to another pastoral letter. The very next book, very next letter is Titus, chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 9. 
but avoid, there's our word again, foolish controversies. Sounds familiar, right? He tells Titus this. And genealogies and strife and disputes about the law for they're unprofitable and worthless. You can say, well, what does that mean? Just we don't say anything then? Just, just be quiet, right? No. Because 1 Peter 3.15 tells us who we are to respond to and how we're to respond and what to respond with. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify Christ. Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Here's our Timothy passage. Yet with gentleness and reverence. That's how we do it. Yes, we come back with a defense. But yes, we do it with love because love does win, doesn't it? The love that God has. And we do it with gentleness and reverence. And that's how we do it. We want to treat people with respect but never back down from truth, especially when they open it up and allow you to do it. They can say something. Maybe they don't know they're allowing you to come in there, but once they've made their statement, you can say, that's interesting what you have there. Um, Then you can kind of turn that and say, but. God actually says this. And we go from there. Look in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2. Proverbs 18. It's really hard to argue with God and people say, well, I, I, don't, I don't believe that. Or that's changed now. Oh, well, God doesn't change. And if He does change, then we don't have God. He's vacillating. Then we can't take anything in this Bible to be true. How can we know that uh, everything that He says in here is right or anything is right? Because He changed it, right? We can't change. Proverbs 18.2. Look at this. A fool. Look at this, folks. This helps us. A fool does not delight in understanding. You give him truth, and he has another word for you. You give him another truth, and he has another word for you. He doesn't want to understand. He's a fool. But only in revealing his own mind. What they're going to do, they're going to show you what they're thinking. And you give them the truth, they don't care. Proverbs 18, verse 6. A fool's lips bring strife, and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are the snare of his soul. So there we're talking about people who are, if we convert it over to the New Testament, put it in Greek, it's moronic. They're morons. <laughs> Biblical term. A fool is one who really doesn't believe in God. That's the best way to define what an atheist is. That's what the Bible terms it as, the fools. Don't go around using that term, especially in our thoughts today. You would be considered to be unloving. And and you probably could be if you call that. But you don't have to call them anything. But we can say, here's what I know what God is telling me. And I know now why they don't want the understanding. They don't want it. And you know what the Bible tells us? Move on. So we read 1 Peter 3.15. If a man comes to you and asks, or gives you an opportunity to respond, give him a reason for the hope that is in you. If he comes to debate you, where he can actually think that he's going to win an argument, after, well, you give him one, you give him two admonitions, and then you have a heresy. You know, they can expose our minds to lies, the lies of Satan. We're called to keep our minds set on the things of God. That's why we can hear things of culture and the world continue to pound and pound. It's like in a boxing match. And a guy can just get some punches in the stomach. And it doesn't look like anything. And then maybe a light little tap on the head, and boom, he goes down. It looked like it didn't do anything. But there were countless punches that he had taken. It didn't finally, it took almost nothing 
almost like a breath, and he blows down. People get that and get that and get that, and they get it through the culture, they get it through the government, they get it through any kind of institution, they get it from the schools constantly, and then they go into college and they hear the same thing, and they, all of a sudden, even after they've heard all this taught in church and Sunday school, which they would uh, maybe put forth one hour or two hours a week, versus the rest of the hours of the week, and guess who wins? That's why people turn to be against God and His truth. They're not believing in the Bible anymore. They lose their faith. The fact is, is we are to guard our thoughts. We are to have a discerning mind. We are to be experts in God's Word. Train yourself. And then we are to proclaim it. That's really what we are about. To proclaim, not to debate. I love to debate. But those debates really go nowhere. But you can say, here's what God's Word says and let it go from there because we're not going to convince them anyway. It's going to take God to take them out of that blindness that they have. I can't do it. None of you can either. But you can give them truth and pray for it. You know, people become influenced by all that anti-biblical stuff. They hear the philosophies of men and it sounds so smart and intelligent. They are, there are so many religious liberals today that appear appear to be orthodox. And yet they're liberal in their thinking and then they lose their conviction. And that's why I say when we come up to a time like this, you're going to see those people who proclaim to be orthodox and they will then come across and say, well, you know, the times that we live in now, we not only are to accept them, but yes, they are a part of the church. And there are many churches already doing it. There are musicians doing it. Hillsong have made statements about that repeatedly down through the last couple of years or so. And I think they have probably bought all that line. People who start out on the Word of God, they start backing down. And say, okay, here's some questions that we really need to ask. Okay, is this something that I should pursue with them or not? Uh, I'm just going to give about three of them here. Is this person involved in clear disobedience to the Word of God? If they are involved in clear disobedience, then that's when we want to challenge. Maybe, though, they're doing something I don't necessarily like, and, and it's my opinion. There's no command in the Bible what they're doing, whether I'm uh, for or against it. Sometimes certain things fall into a gray zone, and God tells us about that. Romans 14 is one of them, and, and uh, a couple other areas. Uh, sometimes we're not sure. It's, uh, you know, maybe what they're doing could be inadvisable. Maybe it's not the wisest thing they're doing, but it's not clearly sin. Uh, use discernment. That's one thing we ought to ask. Number two, is this major doctrinal stuff or is this stuff on the edge? It really doesn't maybe really matter much. All doctrine is... A, there are essential doctrines that, are a, you know, that have to be declared and not to back down. There are things that are not essential for salvation, not essential even for Christian living. There can be some things that uh, Christians do disagree on things, don't they? <laughs> um, but again, we must know Scripture and use discernment. That means to judge. We are to discern. We are to judge. If not, then we'd be uh, everybody would be taking advantage of us in every situation that we have. It says not to judge, right? But it says, no, look, judge yourself first of all. See where you're at. And then what do we do? If somebody is in sin and you know it's sin and it's clear it's in the Scripture here, then you go to them then. But first, you go to God and you confess your sin and see where your heart is in this. Or, matter, matter of fact, maybe they're in sin, but maybe you're in sin too. Or maybe you have um, a bad attitude about it. Get that taken care of. And then you can go in the gentleness. Number three, what's your goal in this whole issue? Do you just want to argue and prove that uh, you're right and what they are is wrong and you're not really concerned about godliness and love? If that be the issue, don't open your mouth, right? Those are three warnings of how we would uh, approach there. Um, what's, uh, you know, are they disobeying God's Word? Is this a major doctrinal issue? And what's my goal in this? Why am I wanting to address them? Okay. 
quarrels. Uh, he says this now. We, we go back to our, our Timothy passage. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels, arguments. Arguments don't lead anyone to Christ. Arguments don't really build anybody up. They're not edifying. But if we must correct people, the aim should be that you gain a brother, that you help your brother grow in the Lord, that you edify him. So correction is to be done. That's what our text is about. We are to correct. Not to sit back silent and say, well, who am I? Well, who you are is an ambassador of the king. But if you have to correct, be wise. Do it wisely. Seek counsel from the Lord. Seek counsel from others if you have to. Be praying about it. That's number one. What does a Christ-like servant look like? Well, he's wise. He's using wisdom here. Secondly, he's a bond servant. A bond servant, he doesn't act out of his will. Does not act out of self-will. He acts because of the will of God. In this case, the will of the Master. A bond servant cannot do anything on his own. He does the will of the Master. So, um, if we go to set one straight, but we don't show genuine concern, we're probably not going to have them adopting our viewpoint, are we? Um, We don't want to get into an argument. They're going to counter by bringing forth their argument, and uh, they're going to bring forth their motives. But we can be firm. We can be unwavering, but we're also not to raise our voice. We're not to lose our temper. And I want to tell you, whenever something that we stand for is righteous, and when we first start out, we can be that way, and all of a sudden, it can start getting out of hand. I've been there many times. And it's like, uh uh-oh, now I'm getting myself into this, rather than God has a hatred for anything that's not truth. So it's not my opinion, my view, or my argument on when it's because God is offended. Now he doesn't need to be defended, but at the same time he uses us to declare it. Otherwise he could be right down here on the earth doing the same thing, and one day he will come back and he will set everything straight. In the meantime, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Straight and narrow. Verse 24, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. Get this one. Kind to all. I can be kind to my family. I can be kind to people at church. I can't be kind to some of those people out there that are unchristian-like that treat me like mud. I'm not going to be kind. Well, the thing is, it's not about you. It's all about God's truth, but it's not about me. And yes, we are to fight the forces. We are to use spiritual weapons. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. <laughs> Whoa, I urge you, I encourage you to be meek and gentle. You drop on down through there. It says in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. You know what the world is doing? It's building up fortresses. Things that are absolutely worldly have nothing to do with God's truth and they're building them up. And it seems like those fortresses are, are getting higher and higher. Sitting up on a high hill and you fire bullets, they don't go through. Then you come out with the big heavy guns, they don't go through. Then you get the cannons out and they don't go through. And it seems like missiles are not going to go through here. And it says in verse 5, we are destroying, remember this word, speculations. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing, the philosophies, all the worldly thinking, we're destroying them, raised up against the knowledge of God. That's what we do. When we speak truth, we're destroying, we're taking down stones 
out of their fortresses when we proclaim truth. Every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive. Their thinking starts to have holes in it. That's what you want to do. You go to a person and all of a sudden you get one stone. Boom. And they, maybe they, they don't admit it. Or maybe they do. They concede that, yeah, yeah. They can't argue with this truth. Yeah, they can argue, but they don't have truth to go against it. So he says, you're destroying that. You're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Divine, powerful, destruction of fortresses. That's our weapons. It's not our opinions that's going to destroy them, but it's going to be the Word of God. And if they don't listen here, His Word is powerful. His Word will judge. And there will be a final judgment for those who stand there and the untruth. So we do it with a gentle manner. I'm going to turn to it, but in 1 Thessalonians 2.7 it refers to um, like a mother, a nursing mother tenderly caring for her own child. A nursing mother. That's gentle. That's tender. That's the, the idea. Kind to all. We must be kind. Never harsh. Never abusive, never ever overbearing, never unkind, never ungracious, easy to approach, easy to speak, easy to please, very sensitive. That's the demeanor of the true bondservant of Christ. Wow. Against people who hate me, who hate Christ, be kind to all. I can't. That's not me. That's not the way that I am. Well, shame on you. Because that's the piece that God is trying to knock out. That's the piece of the puzzle where He says, you've got to die to yourself. Yeah, that's right. That's your natural self. That's the part that God is trying to kill. We are to mortify ourselves. Right? The flesh... And that's the word kind to all. Boy, that's heavy, isn't it? Kind to all. Able to teach. Being patient. I'm going to come back to that able to teach. I'm going to hit this word patient. Patient when wrong. Forbearing. Ready to put up with evil. Ready to endure mistreatment without retaliating. Patient when wrong with gentleness. Let's get to the word gentleness. Prautes. Being humble, being meek, and it's defined by the Greek. In the Greek, it means power under control. A colt, a horse, who is ready to burst out, but the horse has been broken. And it does it's strong enough to do what it wants to do, but it's and it's powerful but it has complete submission to the Master. Now, that is humble. It's not the rug, is it? It's having power and controlling it. A person who has strength, he has direction, and he knows he serves God. A person who has power, all the resources are absolutely under control. Remember Galatians chapter 5? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. My! That's Christ. That's Christ. Completely submissive to the Master's will. Not acting out of self-will. He's true to the Lord's bondservant. And let's turn to Numbers chapter 12. This is marvelous. This is Moses. This is unbelievable. (laughs) This is Moses. Now, the man Moses was very humble. Keep reading the text. More than any man who was on the face 
of the earth. The most completely humble man there was. Humble. Power under control. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, Take my yoke upon you. Right? I am humble. Right? We read 2 Corinthians 10.1 talking about being gentle. I'm not the issue. You can attack me all you want. Hit me with your best shot. But I am going to tell you what God says. But God says. But the Bible says. But we know that Jesus also confronted error. And even though He was one who was very gentle, there was a time where He had to take the whip. He beat them because meekness says, I'll never defend myself, but I'll die defending God. I'll die defending truth. I'm not saying go into some place with a whip and start whipping them. We're not Jesus. But we can say, bring it on. And I'll give you my weapon. Andrew Bonar once said that he could tell when a man was truly meek. You want to know what Andrew Bonar said? He could tell when a man was truly humble because he would elevate his Lord and talk less what he himself was doing. But talking about Christ, Gordon is. So there's our second one, isn't it? But well, we've seen we've seen two of them now. There was dealing with the bond servant, right? And we saw, first of all, that um, there's wisdom that is to be used. And the wisdom then now is found in God's Word. Because He says, the Lord bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach. What do we teach from? Nothing else than God's Word. Didacticos is the word. It means to teach. It means to be skilled in teaching or communicating you can look in 1 Timothy 3, 2 and you say, what's the qual- uh, qualifications of an elder? Well, he must be able to teach, right? Correcting um, is also a part of that. If we look, uh, when it says able to teach and you skip down to that other word with gentleness, correcting, we're going to tie teaching and correcting together there. It's peaduo. And that's the word we used earlier whenever we said, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations. Ignorant was... Ah, peaduo, right? This word is peaduo, which means to train, to educate, to correct. We teach by correcting people because they already have wrong ideas. If they haven't been living by God's Word, guess what? What are they going to have? They're going to have foolishness and ignorant thoughts. And that goes in every detail that they do. They've been gifted. My, they can do some amazing things. But ultimately, it's going to show that they are foolish and that they are ignorant because ultimately, they're not based upon God's truth. We do things, but we realize where it came from. If, if I have something that I'm talented in, I don't know, whatever that is, you know, it certainly isn't because of me, but look what God gave me. God allowed me to do this. I enjoy doing it, so I guess, yeah, that's God's thing, you know. Whatever that is, we can all say that, right? It's based upon God's Word, though. We know that it's, it's all Him. Correcting is child training. Because peyadu always means to take a, 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 the, the slave servant who would take the child or the master and get them trained. Child training. Correcting. They have childish thoughts, so you have to childlessly train them in what is truth. Correcting them. Saying, okay, I hear what you're saying. I know why you're saying that. Or maybe I don't understand, but I do want to tell you something. I want to show you that there is even better hope. Or there's something that maybe you need to look at here. Uh, Take a look at this, right? That's correcting. It's easy to mix up our communication. It's easy to mix up our opinion with God's Word. Just keep giving God's Word. Corrective help. Practically, how to live. You know, there are a lot of things that we just take for granted everybody knows how to do. And maybe they had a background where they were never ever taught. 
They, they just don't know. And that can be ha- anything from handling money, you know, practical aspects to how, how you run a household, how you train the children and such. People today surely don't have that because most people can't even define what a family is. It's been redefined. So we have to go in and now go back to the roots and tell, well, here's the way that it was meant to be. Correcting them. Pointing to your life even as an example of saying, hey, here's what God has done with me. It certainly isn't me, but look what He's done here. And here's how you can take this and apply the Bible in your life. You know, if they, if they want to listen. So there's the third one. It's, it's the Word of God. And that's, that's the focus. And now we come, to, as we've looked at correcting those who are in opposition, right? Get that. The, the last one is this. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. You do it knowing there's no guarantee. If perhaps shows that we can't be sure in advance that God is going to come in and grant them repentance. And if He doesn't, He still is glorified because that His justice is being put on display. That's what Romans 9 says. There are vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. That's a heavy, heavy statement. But there are vessels that are prepared for God's honor and glory. And either way, He gets all the glory. Because how can He show His justice and wrath if He doesn't practice that? He's doing it even today. Our nation is under the wrath of God because I do believe that He has backed His hands off and let the people do what they were probably wanting to do decades ago. But that couldn't have been done then, but is now. What happened? God says, hands off. He turns them over to His wrath. In Romans 1 it says that. Romans 1 says the wrath of God is unleashed. There's an ultimate wrath where it will finally be done. Sometimes His wrath is just silent. And He lets the people do what they want. He restrained people in this nation for hundreds of years. I think He said, okay. Show me, little man, what your thoughts are about. And I'll let you do what you want to do. And you're going to pay the price. We're paying the price right now. Because it already broke past the gate. Broke past the wall that was there and went just blasting through and now is heading towards a massive river where there's no stopping. And the brakes are gone. And you go right on and plunging into the bottom. That's what's happening. That's where it's going. If perhaps God would grant them repentance. Boy, we get a sovereign God passage here, don't we? I love this. And this is, a, this is a verse to really hold on to, folks. Because it's telling us that we can't work up our own repentance. People say, well, you know what? I'm having my fun now in my early days, but one of these days, I, I will repent and come to the Lord. <laughs> You've heard that. Maybe not. I've heard it. Hey, listen. Go out, let them go out and sow the wild oats and then uh, they'll turn back and they'll, they'll do what's right. Maybe, maybe not. If perhaps God grant them that. Metanoia, repentance. Metanoia means a change. Meta, noia. Meta, change. Noia, dealing with the mind. It's a change of mind, a change of thinking. It's a change of attitude that also results in a change of direction. I didn't hang there too long because I know in the back of my head I got a bald spot. <laughs> I'm sensitive. <laughs> to change. It means to change your thoughts and it changes the actions. Second Corinthians seven nine helps us with that. Seven nine says, I now rejoice not that you were made sorrowful. I rejoice on this, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of metanoia, repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. Judas was sorry. He repented. 
but it was not a sorrow according to the will of God. He was sorry what he did and the results that came out of it and he killed himself. So he says, so that you might not suffer loss and anything through us. I rejoice that because you were brought to the point of repentance and a desire to follow God's will. You know what? It is a gift of God and right here tells us. But you can say, well, that's just one passage and I think you are just taking one passage and making it say what you want. Okay. Repentance is a gift. Why is it? Look in Acts 2, verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, he says repent. We're commanded to do that. You say, okay, it doesn't say it there that it's a gift. Let's keep moving on. Look in chapter 5, verse 31. We are commanded to repent. Every person is commanded to repent. Unbelievers are commanded to repent. Acts 5, 31. He is the one whom God exalted to His right hand as a prince and a savior. Why? To grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. To grant it. Now let's go to 11 of Acts, verse 18. These are great verses to show that it is a gift. Repentance is a gift. These are good to memorize if you can. 11.18 When they heard this, they quieted down and glorifying God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. You are regenerated so that you can repent and have faith. Because it's God granted to the Jews. Did you see that passage earlier? God grants to the Gentiles. God gives repentance. We don't work it up. Repentance. It's a work of God just like grace is. It happens at the moment of salvation. And you'll notice that Paul isn't praying judgment on them. God get those people who oppose me. God, you get them. You lay them low, God. You bring them down. You kill them, God. No, we say, God, help them repent. Bring repentance to them, to the truth. Please, God, be gracious to them and grant them that there be repentance, that they would know the truth, that the truth would set them free. This is a compassionate attitude. This is how we treat all people. Knowledge of the truth, the word is epignosis, knowledge. Sometimes you can see gnosis. Here it's epignosis. It's put something upon. I want them to come to the full knowledge of the truth. Not just know about, but to know you, God. To know your truth. They know it in part. Matter of fact, this can be even Christians. For the most part, I'm aiming at unbelievers. But also, people can get out of line and we are to confront sin whether it be a believer or an unbeliever. Especially an unbeliever when there's sin. And we know it to be sin and it is making an impact on other people. That's when we check that out. So what do we do? In Matthew chapter 7, first few verses says, oh, but we're not to judge. And it does say that. And, and I know we're always thinking, hey, who am I to do that? Believe me, this, everybody says this. I know. But what does it say? You take the two-by-four out of your own eye before you take the little splinter out of his, right? That means you get yourself right. You go in prayer. You see what your motive is. What is this about? And then when you know that, hey, I'm to go to my brother here who, who needs a word from the Lord. You get it right, and then you can go to him. That's what it says. It doesn't say that we are not to discern or to, to be stupid, but we are to judge and discern, but we go to him first. And so the Word of God completely there. I think that, that helps us all. Sometimes we just forget about that. Though. We, if, if we forget about being compassionate. And, and boy, we go headlong into it because we get mad. And I get mad. And it's okay to be angry because God hates it. And we hate it. But don't let it get to the aspect that you are offended. You don't have to put that weight on your shoulders. God is offended. I know truth. Here's what it is. He tells me to be gentle. Wow. Escape the snare of the devil. What? What? What what, what, what did he say? Verse 26, And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil 
having been held captive by Him to do His will. Senses. Come to their senses. Ananepo, it means to return from drunkenness. What a picture that is. It's one, and you can see how this could be an unbelief. Can, uh, can believers go senseless? Yeah, <laughs> everybody said, yeah, yeah. I know, I've been there. So we know we can talk about believers here. I, I think we're definitely on that line. I think it sure can be unbelievers. We're talking about not a literal drunkenness, but we're talking about people go into a stupor. And it doesn't matter what people say to them anymore. They have gone into a stupor and it can't get through to them. And you remember the... Um, do you remember the parable of the young man who wanted his inheritance and then he took off. And then after he went through all the junk that was out there, he came to his senses and came back to the Father. He was into a stupor. There was drunkenness there. He was drunk with the things of the world and all the things of his own self, his own thoughts. And the thing is, they're numbed. Their conscience is numbed. They're confused in their mind and their thoughts. They're paralyzed. Their will is paralyzed. You mean a Christian could be in the snare of the devil? Dennis, I can't understand it. I'm not saying possessed by the devil, but I'm saying ensnared. A snare is a trap, right? Hey, Satan can trap us any time. Any time we've sinned, guess what? We have been trapped. 1 Timothy 3.7 Look at this. Look at this. Yes, a believer can be ensnared by the devil himself. It says in verse 7, And these happen to be the qualifications of overseers. It says this, And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, not to be thought lowly of and, you know, or, or, or to be prideful to them and such, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. These are people that are inside the church there that can fall in the snare of the devil. We don't want him to uh, have a bad reputation and then Satan can do that and, and then he's in the snare of the devil, the trap. The snare. First Timothy 6, 9. Uh, boy, time's running. Um, we can fall into the snare of, or the trap of money. First Timothy 6.9 talks about that. Truth. 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 Oh, we are in need of truth. That will keep you from being falling into that. The knowledge of the truth may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him, by Satan, to do his will. Held captive. The person in serious doctrinal error or disobedience to God's Word has fallen into Satan's snare. He's being held captive by him. Satan's evil will is opposed to God's holy will. People inside the church today are buying all the stupidness, ignorant, that's what the speculations are in Second Timothy. They're buying that up and they're held captive by Satan himself because their thinking is not clear and it's not measuring up to God's Word. If Satan captures believers as POWs to use them for his purposes, watch out. Because he certainly is doing it to the unbeliever because we know in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that he blinds the mind of unbelievers so that they will not come to the truth. That's why God has to open the blinders so they can see the light. Aren't you thankful for the truth that has been given to you? Because we were blind. We were dead. We couldn't see these truths. And we'd buy everything out there. And have you noticed almost everything that the world says we are on the opposite end? Are you learning that? Are you learning why they're doing that? And you say, yeah, take it out on them. No, it should make you understand, oh, that's why they do those things. It helps you to be compassionate. Why do they do those things to me? Why are they saying stupidness? Hey, they're not of God. But they could be. You have the truth. Why aren't you giving them truth instead of saying, they do this, they do that. I can't believe what they're doing. Why aren't you believing what they're doing? 
Why ain't I believing why they're doing it? That gets things in perspective really quick. Why they do the things they do. So I think this can, though, apply to believers and unbelievers. The test of the genuineness of their faith is whether or not they respond positively to correction. Just watch it. Are they responding to correction? Do they want the correction? It may not be at this time. It may be later. It may not. Someone may profess to know Christ but persist in some kind of heretical teaching. It makes influence on others. His claims may be suspect. So when they say they're Christians, now you're wondering, I wonder if they really are. Probably every one of us who's walking with Christ would not be where we're today if somebody would have, would not have come along and corrected us in love. We all need the ministry of correcting in the body of Christ. We're all prone to get off the path. If you're a clean vessel fleeing from sin, pursuing godliness, sometimes you're called to correct the gentle art of correction. People who are flirting with drifting into serious sin. Here's our application. I think this whole text today, here's application. Do you want God to give you a compassionate attitude? Do you want God, no matter what anyone says against you, that you confront them because they're erring in truth from God? They're, they're misrepresenting truth, but you don't go out on the attack. Maybe they're giving you deep wounds and you say, God, please grant them repentance that they come to the full knowledge of the truth for their sake and not mine. They've been held captive, Lord. I know that for so long. Lord, help them flee from the bondage. Is that the attitude that we want? I think we all know that. Free them, Lord, from that bondage. That's compassion. That's gentleness. Loving with truth. Thank you for your time. Father, we thank You. Thank You for Your Word that is so timely. Help us to be the soldiers, farmers, athletes. Help us to be strong. Help us to be teachers. Help us to be workmen. Help us to be vessels. Help us to be bondservants of the Lord Master, Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Folks.